We're turning to Second Peter, chapter three. Easier found from going back from Revelation, just a few pages back in the Epistle of Jude, John, first and second Peter, and this is the eighth Sunday night that we've been preaching on these end time events. Eight nights on two chapters, so we've been going into it fairly deeply, and I think the Lord has been ministering to us and blessing to us. So open your Bible, please, at Second Peter, chapter three. This will be the final message uh, on these end time subjects for the present time. But I feel that it'll not be very long until we're back at them again. Things are unfolding so fast. Things are moving on so powerfully swiftly in the prophetic scene. We can hardly keep up with them. Those of us who study the scriptures, uh, there's not a day, but something's really happening on every front that's prophesied. And we're heading down towards the end. Without a doubt, we're living in a very, very, very powerful hour. And uh, sometimes I think it's a privilege and sometimes I think it's not. But uh, we're here for this time, and you read your paper and read your Bible at the same time, and you will find out that uh, things are shutting down in many ways. And so we're going to speak again tonight uh, for the last time at the minute on, on this subject. So if you have your Bible open there, just keep it open. We'll be turning to the Scriptures in a moment. Just a short while before President J.F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas in November 1963, he had a conversation with Billy Graham, the globalist evangelist. Graham, in his autobiography, Just As I Am, states that they were driving to Kennedy's home and the president stopped the car and he turned around to Billy Graham and he said to him, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? And Graham said, I most certainly do. He questioned him further on it and asked him, does my church believe it? And Graham replied, well, they have it in their creeds. And then J.F. Kennedy, just a few months before he died, made this startling statement. He said, well, they don't preach it, and I would like to know more about it, and we will meet again. But he didn't meet him again. He met his maker. Now, the question I ask you this tonight, why did the most powerful man in the world ask such a question, stop the car and ask such a question as this. Further think, why is it that eight or ten people in Britain buy the national paper to read their stars? Why is it that there's more people downloading horoscopes and astrology and the stars than ever before? 
Why is it that wizards and witches and widgery boards and yogi and Eastern myths and clairvoyance and Harry Potter phenomenons are captivating millions? And it's on the rise. My mother for many years was a nurse in the capital of Argentina, Buenos Aires. And she brought home to Fermanagh some good things, but she brought home some bad things. Ever since I was a child, I remember my mother reading the tea leaves in the teacup. Now, you don't have tea leaves in the cups and mugs today. You have tea bags, but tea leaves. It's called tessology. And she used to look at that there and used to show it to us as children and she would say there's a storm coming or a stranger's coming or something else. And many times she was true. And I remember as a child uh, trying to read these tea leaves on the side of the cup. It's very prevalent even today. Why was she doing that? And why are thousands of people doing that? Another question when you're in the form of questions I want to ask you tonight, why is it for the last eight, seven Sundays that over a hundred people gather here on a Sunday night at six o'clock? And the answer is that we're interested in the future. And people are more and more coming to realize that the world has shortchanged them. The glitter and the tinsel and all that's going on out there in the world is not giving them answers. Horoscopes, microscopes, telescopes, and all the brains and all the sciences of the day can't satisfy the heart of man for there's a quest for the future. I heard someone saying, if only there was a home for the bewildered in Northern Ireland, I'd go into it. Well, there's a home. This world is a home of the bewildered tonight. There are many bewildered people not knowing what's happening or what's going on behind them or in front of them or even as they live. The only way that we can establish and the only way that we can know, no other way, there's just one sole way of knowing the future and knowing where we've come from and where we're going and what happened before the world began and what will happen when the world is ending, which we're going to deal with tonight. Let me tell you, there's only one place we can turn to, and that's the infallible, indestructible word of the living God. Peter in the first epistle calls it the sure word of prophecy. Do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth unto the dawning of the day. These great eschatological truths are only found in the Word of God. And apart from the doctrine of the gospel, the redemption and the atonement and the cross work of Christ, apart from that, that is the most spoken of subject in all of the Bible is future events. Prophets, apostles, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all major on what is happening in the days that lie ahead. Now, I want to cast your eye, your eye at verse 10 of this third chapter of Peter, Second Peter. And let us just look at this verse very carefully for a moment. 
But the day of the Lord, that's the day that the Lord is coming in his wrath to set up his millennial kingdom. But the day of the Lord will come. Now I want you to stop, and I hope you have your Bible tonight. I want you to just stop at that will come. Now when the word of God, when God says he will come, he will come. And you go through the whole promise of God and the word of God and you'll always find that every promise, the God that cannot lie, every promise he has kept and every one he will keep. He will come. That's what Peter says here. Jesus himself said, I will come again. Paul says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. John the Apostle says, Behold, he cometh in clouds, and every eye shall see him. And James says, The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. That's only a wee couple of texts to prove to you, if you believe the word of God, that he is coming again. Now it says here, Peter says here, he will come as a thief in the night. That speaks of speed. That speaks of speed. I'm talking about a professional thief. I'm not talking about a half-drunk boy in daylight pounding about to try to steal something. I'm talking about a professional thief. And a professional thief will always come at his choosing time. First of all, he'll come when it's dark. And do you know we're in a dark day, my friend? We're in a dark hour. And we need to realize that tonight, that there's dark, gross darkness covering our land and covering our nation. And the thief will come to the darkest side of the house. And he'll come when people are asleep and when they're not expecting him. And the professional thief can come into a house at night. And I've known of, case, of, a case, of cases where he took the very jewelry out of the room where the man and wife were sleeping in their bed. Same room. You see, he can come and he'll come, he can come with speed. He'll come when it's night. He'll come when people are asleep. And a lot of God's people are sleeping, you know, and they're not expecting the coming of the Lord. And they'll be caught up all right, some of the Christians, but they'll be caught out in the sins and the things that they're at. And he'll come, the thief doesn't come for the dishcloth. He doesn't come for the cornflake box. He comes for the precious things. He comes for the jewel. We could take this on tonight. Jesus is coming. He's just coming for his own people. And if you're not saved tonight, he's not coming for you. So he says here, it's like a thief in the night. And then he's come with a sound because verse 10 says, with a great noise. And we can't develop that tonight, but there's going to be a great noise when the wrath of God comes upon this land. That's where there's a hissing noise. The best they could explain it in those days was an arrow in full, was a bow and arrow, and an arrow in full flight. They tell me that that earthquake in the middle of the sea out there in Tonga or wherever it was, they tell me that the roar of it was awesome. And this world's going to be burnt up with fire, whether it'll be atomic or nuclear fire, I don't know, but God can get fire from everywhere. But this world is going to be burnt up and melted, and you'll see that in this verse. 
There's going to be, he's going to come with speed and he's going to come with a mighty sound and he's going to come with a scorching. And there you are, look at the verse again. In which the heavens shall pass away, that is, they shall disappear, they shall melt with a great noise and, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein all shall be burnt up, dissolved. That word is dissolved, like a wee, like you put that uh, tablet into the water, paracetamol into the water, and it'll just dissolve. That's what's going to happen to the world. So don't live too close to this old world. Don't be getting too tied up with the things of this world, and the houses, and the cars, and the money, and the holidays. It's all going to be burnt up. That's what the Word of God says. If you believe the Word of God, then you need to take this very serious. So he's going to come with the speed and he's going to come with the sound and he's going to come with scorching. The greatest power on earth is the power of fire. It can melt the greatest steel like a candle. God's going to destroy the world with fire. Peter was only a fisherman. He was an unlearned. The Bible says he was an unlearned and ignorant man, he and John. And yet that the Holy Spirit gave him these truths to pen for us, to preach to the people in these last days. And sadly, I tell you, the Catholic Church is not the only church, and I don't know whether it does or not, it's not the only church that's preaching. It's not, or the people are speaking about the Lord's return. Well, the evangelical churches of Ulster seem to be silent on it. You never hear it hardly. People are telling me that are coming to this church that they never heard it for years. So here we are. Now, the message that I want to drive home tonight that's burdened my heart all week is this. This fascination and captivation and indeed an obsession with many the return of the Lord in these last days. So many people scan the papers on the internet and they run to meetings and they do, every time you talk to them, they're talking about the second coming and the Lord's return. And somebody said, and I've said it myself, that earthquake in Tonga, well, the, Jesus says that the, in the last days the sea and the waves will roar. Tsunamis. Jesus said that in Matthew, Luke 17. The sea and the waves roaring. Yes, that is so. And there'll be pestilences, and there'll be famines, and there'll be earthquakes, and there'll be COVID, and that is so. There'll be rumors of war, wars and rumors of war, atomic war, nuclear war, China, India, all ready to go with warheads, North Korea, all ready to go. That is so. Russia, moving into Ukraine, prophetical. Heading towards Israel, China, that boy in China that's not capable of smiling, that fellow in China's watching this. Iran's watching every move that's going on in Europe at this moment. And the march is beginning for Israel, for that's where they're all going to collide with Israel. And the march is on. Let me tell you, we're in, day, we're in days of powerful prophetical scriptures. And it's time that we wakened up 
that on every scene, every, every scene that you can think of, atomical signs, electronical signs, satanical signs, climatical signs, ecumenical signs, they're all coming together. That men preached about for years, they're all coming together in this day and this hour. And believer in Jesus Christ, you're here for this hour. Now, the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ and Peter and the apostles and the Old Testament prophets were not to give us just signs and wonders. They didn't write the scriptures to give, just to give us prophetical information, but practical application. And that's what Peter's saying here. It's practical application to every believer in these last days. Get your eyes off the signs and get them onto the Savior. Look at verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, melted, burnt up. Here's now the question tonight. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? I want you to gaze at that word in verse 11. Seeing then what manner of persons you ought to be. That's coming down to the individual character now. That's coming down to every believer. How should you be living in these days when the earth's about to be destroyed and the Lord is about to come? How should you be living? Now you just ask yourself how you are living. Is it holy? Are you living a holy life? See that wee word there, seeing. That word is to gaze steadfastly and eagerly and intently at something or someone. You have it in verse 12 again, the same word, looking for and hasting. You have it again in verse 13, looking for, uh, nevertheless, we according to the promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth. Now what the apostles telling us to do here, and you here tonight, and you listening to me, wherever you'd be tonight, is start to look to the Lord. Start to gaze upon the things of God and not these things. Don't be all taken up with these things. It's our own individual life and the way that we live. It's the same word Paul used in Philippians chapter 3 when he said we're citizens of heaven. We're looking for the coming of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change these vile bodies. Hallelujah, you're going to change this old body of mine. Six dance and everything else is along with this. Going to change it all. Hallelujah. There's the same word in Hebrew 9. Under, under them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin. Now that doesn't mean that he came the first time without sin. He came the first time to deal with sin. He destroyed sin. He's coming the second time not to destroy sin. Not to save us from sin. But to save us from this old world. And he's going to take us out. And he's going to take us up. And it'll, hallelujah, it'll be all over here down here. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 1 when the Lord Jesus ascended up into heaven. You remember the angel came and says, Ye men of Galilee, they stood in the gawk. That's the word gawk. And the disciples gawked as he lifted up. The Lord Jesus was raptured up into heaven. 
He went on the Mount of Olives. He just a cloud came down, and he just started, he went up gradually. And, and the angel said, "Ye men of Galilee, why stand there, there ye gazing and gawking up unto heaven? This same Jesus whom ye see go is going to come again. The same man to the same mountain, and in a moment, coming again." You better get that into your head tonight. The same Jesus, he hasn't changed in 2,000 years. I changed before this. From I got up into this pulpit tonight, I'm changing. Change and decay all around, I see. Help of the helpless Lord abide with me. Hallelujah. He changes now. It's the same word, gazing. It's the same word in Acts chapter 3. When the man was laying at at the gate of the temple. And he came to Peter. Peter came to him and he was begging, looking for arms at the gate of the temple. And Peter and John was going up into the hour of prayer. And, and, and Peter, and Peter said to him, look on us. Same word, look on us. Don't be looking for money. Don't be looking around you. Look on us. And then he put him past him. There's no use. You know, Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have in the name of Jesus Christ I give. Look unto the Lord. Gaze upon him. He will do it. Oh, it's a powerful word, that. It's on him. Don't be taken up with the sounds, but with the souls of men and women that are going to burn in hell. Tell me, believer, did you witness to anybody last week? Did you give anybody a track at your work? Did you tell them that the Lord was coming? Or have you no testimony and they can't do that? Don't be taken up with the sounds, but with souls. Don't be taken up with the signs, but the Savior. Don't be taken up with the mark. Well, they're all about the mark. And this boy in Sweden has the mark, has the mark on his arm and they showed it on all around the world. They're showing the mark. The mark of the beast is coming. It's coming to the right hand and to the forehead. And you'll not be able to sell or buy. But don't be taken up with the mark. Be taken up with the master. Don't be taken up with the deceivers for there's many of them about. Be taken up with the deliverer. Don't be taken up with the beast or the booster or the bluffer. But the blessed Lord, get your eyes onto him tonight. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, I tell you, he can come tonight as far as I'm concerned. I hope you're keeping short accounts with the Lord. Boy, I tell you, he's coming very soon. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Remember Apostle Paul says that I may know him. Paul was at the end of his journey and if anybody had ever thought he gives give him the Hebrews and he wrote 14 epistles. If ever there was a man knew the Lord Jesus, nobody knew. He spent three years before he opened his mouth alone with him. If any man knew the Lord Jesus, Paul knew him and coming near the end of the journey, he says, oh, that I may know him. He was only dipping his finger in the oceans of his mighty love and grace and power. He says, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Is that your desire tonight? Is that your longing tonight? Is that your quest and hunger tonight that you might know more, more, more about Jesus? Well, I tell you, it's mine. And I haven't long to go. Oh, that I might know more about him, more about Jesus, would I know. Way beyond the historical, way beyond the evangelical, way beyond the doctrinal, 
Away beyond the prophetical is the practical truth that Peter's getting into our mind, tying in here tonight. You see, and I want to be very gentle tonight. I'm not a gentle person. You know that by now. I want to be as gentle as I can tonight. Listen, you can say, praise the Lord, he's coming soon. Oh, you can run to meetings and prophecy. Oh, you can lead the papers and listen to the internet and all the stuff that's coming out and all about Russia and all about China and all about... But how are you living? How are you living? You see, you can say amen in the meeting and you can say praise the Lord and and I believe all these things and I believe everything this preacher's saying. I believe the Lord's coming back. But what would your wife say about you? How do you carry on at home? Huh? What manner of person ought you to be? Maybe, maybe, Father, if we asked the wee fellow about you, he'd tell us a thing or two. Maybe you're smiling in the meeting and shaking hands and nodding heads and giving out hymns. You're a hypocrite to the very toes of your pews. Come on now. What are you living? Oh, the Lord's coming. He is. And God help you when he comes. Oh, he's coming soon. Yeah, he is. And the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout. And I, Jesus, the last words that Jesus said in the Revelation, I come quickly. There's there. I come quickly. What about your life? Have you all paid up? You're doing a dirty deal last week and I tend to do another one tomorrow. You tell that person a lie. Oh, it was only a, oh, it was only a wee lie. There's no such thing as wee lies. Is the book right? Is the farm account book right? Is the tax book right? Can you look the Lord in the eye and say, Lord, there's nothing betwixt thee and me that I know of? You see, it's all right talking about these things. But no testimony. No testimony in the workplace. No testimony at home. No testimony amongst your children. Before Duncan Campbell came to prominence in the Scottish Revival of 1949, the Hebrides. He slipped into the back of a meeting one night. And there was a man giving his testimony. And there was a woman, two women sitting in front of him. And every now and again, one woman would say to the other, he's he's a liar. And then she gave him a nudge and said, That's another lie. Who was the woman? It was the man's wife. I tell you, my friend, the Lord knoweth the heart. And he knoweth what's going on and he knows what has to be put right. 
He knows what you watched last week and he knows where you spent your time and you know he knows how much time you give to him. He knows how long you spent in the word and in the place of prayer. He knows how much of your tithe that you give. If you give the tenth and the offering, he knows it. Have you paid up to God? Has he got the tenth and the offering of all that you earned in the last month? Don't be asking him to come back. You know what you earned last month. And you know what belongs to God if you're a believer. Will a man rob God? Malachi says, you've robbed me. You've robbed me, he says, in tithes and offerings. Therefore, I shall hold the blessing. One of the reasons that we're not in revival and in blessing is is the greed of Christians holding on to things that belong to God. He has given you a gift and you've never given it to him. He has given you money after money and you've given the wheat pennies at the end. The almighty creator God. And then you're waiting on him to come. Don't you be fooled. God's not a fool. He has gifted you and he has blessed you and he has done a thousand things with you and he has protected your family and he's given you food and clothes and blessing and you do it to give the wee pity ends to him at the end of the month. God help you. And then you sing, I surrender all. What lies? Oh, you're hard tonight. Well, I have to be. Because we're dealing with this chosen night of this Serious situation here. Seeing that all these things are going to be burnt up, melted and dissolved. Now all things, everything, everything. Now I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about your car and your holiday home and your mansions and your money. I'm talking about everything that you wrought for and worked for and cried for and fought for and went to court for and everything else. It's all going to be burnt up. It's going to be dissolved. Those things are not eternal, but you are. You are. We're to look for and watch for and wait for. Look at verse 12 says, Looking for and hastening, hastening unto the coming of the day of the Lord, saying, Hurry it up. I can't say tonight, Lord, hurry up and come. I honestly can't. I think of families, I think of men and women, I think of some of you children in this meeting, young people, and you're not saved. We're told to hasten, hurry up the day. You know how we can hasten the day and we can't go into that tonight? We can hasten it by praying. We can hasten it by evangelizing. Make haste. Hastening hastening the coming day of the Lord. Listen, make haste to the Lord, you tonight. You remember whenever the angels came to the shepherds on the Judean hills on the night the Savior was born? 
It says that they came after they got the word. They said they came and they made haste and found that the Lord had made known. Found what the Lord had made known. They found Joseph and Mary in the crib. They had to make haste. And my friend, you'll always find what the Lord has promised. Make haste tonight. The shepherds made haste to the troch. Zacchaeus made haste from the tree. Mary made haste to the tomb. Make haste tonight. Hurry up tonight. Hasten. Flee tonight to Christ if you're not saved. Backslider, flee back to him tonight and stop your hypocrisy. Let this be a moment in your life tonight that you'll never forget. Hurry up, hasten. Flee, sinner. Can you not hear the smell of the sulfur? Can you not hear the fizzle of the fire? Can you not hear the words of the Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who created everything? He says that in that day there'll be weeping and wailing and the gnashing of teeth. I was in the old county hospital in Enniskillen 30 years ago. In fact, more. Nearly 40. Pat's father was dying in the sideboard. I remember very vividly that night being in that, bed, that room. And Pat was talking and singing to her father. And I heard this. I didn't know what the noise was. It was just... And I opened the door and it got louder. Went to the next door. Next ward, side ward. There was a man in it whom I knew. I got the shock of my life. He was gnashing his teeth. wasn't an old man. And the nurse had, nurse had put a cloth in between his teeth to stop the noise. And the cloth had come out and the knocking of those teeth. I thought to myself, God help us. Multiply that by millions and billions. I'll say there's some noise in hell tonight. You ever hear anybody wailing? I did. It's an awful sound. Do you think the Lord Jesus is playing games? Oh, I don't believe in hell. Well, you believe what you like. That's your prerogative. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Flee. Flee to the ark. Flee. Flee. What was the word came in Genesis chapter 19? God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with fire. That's the word of God says, and he did too. 
But he came down to Lot and he says, Lot, flee and get your family out. For the fire's going to fall. I'm going to destroy this place. Escape for your life. Run. Get out, man. Get away to the mountain of Zor where the, where the gates are open and get in there and get into safety. And Abraham stood on the mountain and he cried to God, Lord, no, no, Lord, save Lot. Save the family. Save the people. And he went to his sons-in-laws and they laughed and they mocked at him. He took his wife and an angel of God came down, the very God that Alan was, or Stephen was talking about this morning, caught him by the hand, caught him by the hand and took him out. And she turned back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Don't look back, flee, I say tonight. You flee tonight. There you end up in this awful place. Hasten. Escape for your life. Run. There's an ark tonight. There's a place of safety tonight. There's a saviour tonight. Look at verse 13 as we come to a close. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. We are looking tonight for a new heaven and a new earth. We're going tonight into the heaven, the new heaven that God has prepared for. He's going to burn up all the other heavens. There are three heavens, you know that. There's the heavens where they fly the kites and the planes and the birds fly. That's one heaven, according to scriptures. There's another heaven above it, and it's the prince of the power of the air, and all the demonic powers and demons of hell have their headquarters. You go on up past the first one and you go on out through the south where we can't get through in prayer sometimes. There's the powers of darkness that are up there hindering the prayers. That's why we have to wrestle three nights a week and weep and cry for our families and our children. All the powers of hell. You'll read in Daniel, all the powers of hell. And once you break through that, you're into blessing. I wonder, will we break through this week? Will you break through? And then there's God heaven. But you see, all the heavens are contaminated. Boy, that heaven up, that first heaven up there with the boards and the planes fly is polluted. The atmosphere is polluted. And you go on above that and all the demonic powers is polluted. And you go on up into heaven itself and the very devil started a war on it and rebelled and came out of it. God's going to give everything, make everything new. Behold, all things are new. And I'm going to the new heaven that God, that wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now I want to, I'm going to close in five minutes. And I'll be closed by seven o'clock. Turn to me to Revelation 21. Just go over a few verses. A few pages. And look at Revelation chapter 21 as we come to a close tonight. This is John the Apostle. John again was termed as an ignorant and unlearned man. But yet, he wrote the book of Revelation and four epistles. And here's what he saw on the Isle of Patmos, the vision God given. An old man, the last of the apostles. God given these visions of prophetical things of the end times in which we live. And thank God for the prophetical scriptures. And here's what he says. And I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, were dissolved. That word's the same. 
Now watch this phrase. And there was no more sea. 70% of the earth's surface covered with salt water. Takes it all to purify all the filth and everything else that goes into it. It's an average depth of 2.3 miles. And the sea speaks in the Bible of separation. That's why the sea, one of the reasons that God made the sea is to separate nations, people. And some of you know very well what separation's like when families traveled overseas. And that's for another night. Someone said that the book of Revelation is a book of mystery. A book of misery. And a book of majesty. This end chapter is here dealing with the majesty of God and the misery. Look at what verse 2 says, And I, John, saw the holy city. That's the only holy city there ever was or ever will be. There's nothing holy about Belfast or London or Dublin or anything but. This is a holy city. There'll be no rapists, no murderers, no sadists killing young girls out running. No drunkards on the streets of heaven. It's a holy city. Watch what it says, it's a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God. Anything that comes from God is holy. Can't be anything else. He's perfectly pure and perfectly holy in everything. The Lord Jesus was holy, harmless, and undefiled and separate from sinners. He knew no sin. He did no sin. He was the harmless, crimeless, sinless Son of God. And that's who's my Savior tonight. I want you to watch this carefully as we come down to a close. See, it's not only a holy city, but it's a homely city. Verse 3, verse 2. Let us read it again. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You see, heaven is a home where the bride, the people of God, the church of Christ, the bride, will be forever with the bridegroom. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. So he's preparing a home. And he's over 2,000 years preparing it. He done it. He, he, God created the earth in seven days and all that's in it and everything else. 2,000 years he's in heaven preparing a place for us to go. In the new heaven. 
and it's going to be like the bride going towards the groom. See that word adorned? Spotless. You know, I have done scores of, of weddings here in the last 33 years of two this year. And the difference between the bride on the rehearsal a night or two before the wedding, the difference between her then and the difference in her on the wedding day is profound. It's a metamorphosis. Do you ever see a bride coming down the aisle with stains on her dress? No, she's... We had a wedding over there one time. And I'm not exaggerating when I say whenever there were members of the, they were in the church here for years. And when, the, when, when she came to the door with her father in the old barn there, I'm honestly going to say this is true. This boy has got the wrong moment. I did not know her. Honestly didn't know. And as she walked up to me, I still didn't know. And as she stood in front of me, I still didn't know. What a change. And then I began to see that he had the right one. What are you going to be like if you were to come tonight? Hmm? Mind you, the thief's not coming for the, the saucepans or the dishcloth. What would you be like? Are you excited? Are you adorned in holiness and righteousness as this chapter will be the time to develop? Are you adorned in peace and joy? Tell me if you'd live last week again, would you have lived a different? I'm asking that to myself, and I would. Well, you wouldn't have said some of the things you said. You wouldn't have talked about some of the things you talked about. You wouldn't have treated your husband or your wife or your children the way you did. So you wouldn't. Well, now, listen. Don't let the same mistake happen this week. Don't let it happen this week. Didn't I say this Revelation is a book of mystery. It's a book of majesty. But it's a book of misery. Look at verse 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the whoremonger and the sorcerer and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now notice the wee word but. But. That's coming down after all the majesty and all the blessings of heaven for God's people. The bride and the groom united together in heaven. 
And that brings a separation into the word and it brings a separation into this meeting tonight. For there are those going and there are those who are not. You're either going to one place or the other. Now notice what it says, the fearful. That's the first type of people that are going into hell. Not the abominable, not the murderer, not the sorcerer, the fearful. Fearful. Oh, I'd be a saved tonight, only I'm afraid what they'd say. <laughs> That's the greatest ploy of the devil. I'd be saved tonight, only I'm afraid of what they'd think my wife would think or my husband would think or the men that I work with would think and would say that, oh, he's such and such, he's a Christian now, he's went to the lifeboat and he's got saved. And you would want that to keep you out of God's heaven. I thought you were a better, better man than that, woman than that. The fearful and the unbelieving. That was the first weapon that the devil used in the Garden of Eden. He threw doubt on the word of God. That's the devil's weapon. He used it at the beginning and he's using it at the end. I don't believe. That's what he wanted to get into Eve's mind. Don't believe. Don't believe what God says. God will not destroy you. You don't believe he's telling you a lie. Don't believe him. Are you saying to you, I don't believe? It doesn't matter whether you believe or not. I don't believe in this hell business. I don't believe in, in the lake of fire. I don't believe in what Johnson preaches. It doesn't matter what I preach. I don't believe that at all. I, I believe that if you do good and you live a good life and you say your prayers and do what you can and look after the poor, now you'll go to heaven, you'll go to hell. I don't believe there's such a place. That's the deadly, deadly tool of the devil tonight. Oh, you get out of this meeting and you get home. And all will be well, but it'll not be well, my friends. You can't twist the word of God. Whosoever, it says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Oh, I, how could any preacher preach that? The lake of fire. Eternal fire. Burning but never burn. Falling but never fall. The bottomless pit of burning fire. One second in it, my friend, and you'll remember. Oh, if only. It'll be too late. Whoever heard as I close of the criminal, the murderer of the 19th century called Charlie Peace. What a name. He was the most wanted and notorious murderer and sadist and villain in Britain until Jack the Ripper came along. There's films on him and books written on Charlie Peace murdered policemen, murdered civilians. <clears throat> 25th of February, 1879, at Armley 
prison in Leeds. He was hanged for murder of police, men and civilians. On the morning of the execution, as they led him to the gallows, they called the death war, the death march. There was a lineup, as was the custom then. The prison governor headed the line. After him came the sheriff. After him came the Church of England minister, all dressed in black, and after him came Charlie Peace. As they walked towards the gallows, the Church of Ireland minister was reading Revelation 21 and verse 8. Those verses that we have, re- we have just read, the fearful and the abominable be cast into the lake of fire. That burneth, E-T-H it says, burneth, continually burns with fire. And as that man trotted out that, that scripture text, he wasn't one bit concerned. He was just about to, wanting to get his job done. And as he was going out, quoting that text, and Charlie Peace was walking behind him, he had one request to make. He requested a drink of water, and they wouldn't give it to him. He had one request to make, and he said, Whoa, stop! And the minister turned around and he said to him, Do you believe what you're reading? Do you believe that men and women are going to be in a fire that will never be extinguished all their time and they'll feel it and they'll know it and all throughout eternity? I don't know what the boy said in answer to him. He probably didn't. And Charlie Peace said to them, he says, listen, I'm going to die. But if I believe that, I believe that I'd walk on my hands and knees in broken glass from John O'Groats to Land's End to save one soul from it. And if you want to go home and put them up on the YouTube, you'll get that. If I could have, if I believed that, I would walk on my hands and knees in broken glass to save one soul. Now I'm not asking you, nor is the Lord asking you to walk on broken glass tonight. He's not asking you to go to the mountains and climb it tonight on your bare feet. Croak Patrick or anywhere else, he's not asking you to do penance tonight. He's not asking you to do anything tonight, only come because the price has been paid and the pain has been suffered and Calvary covers it all. Tonight, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. I can do no more. I can't bring any more than what I brought. All that I can say, I love you with all my heart, young man. I don't want to see you in hell. Don't drop into hell on me. Just a wee walk round the back and we'll lead you to the Lord. Have some booklets here, take them in my hand at the door. There's a wee inquiry room. I'll go home with you. I'll stay up all night with you. I'll do anything for you. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. You've no guarantee to get out of this meeting tonight or get home. Just to win one soul to the Lord and keep him out of that place. I'd walk on my hands and my knees on broken glass. 